It's good to see old friends and new friends and old faces and new faces here today. Welcome those of you who are watching online. We're so glad that you are with us today. God bless you. Uh, as Pastor Matt mentioned, my name is Mike Schroeder, and uh, I uh, serve on the pastoral team here at Life Center, or Life Church, and we are so blessed to be part of the family of God. Amen. Amen. So um, I'm looking forward to this message today, and I hope that at the end uh, it, it will be something that will be worthwhile for all of us. Uh, we have good, good material here. We're going to continue our sermon series on the seven churches of Revelation. And so today we're in Revelation chapter 2, and uh, we're going to be getting right into that. Now, the word revelation is one of those sort of ominous kind of words. If you've been uh, in the church world and if you have read your Bible, uh, you know, Revelation, it's one of those books that's kind of a little bit hard to understand, and, and it truly is uh, difficult to understand. And we're, we're actually tackling kind of the easy part here in the, this sermon series on the, the seven churches. But it's, it's still something so important for us. It's the only book in the Bible that says that there is a reward just for reading it. And so God is going to speak to our hearts and feed our souls, even if our brain sometimes misses a few of the details. That's the way this works. All right? So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you a quick introduction here, uh, further introduction. We're going to pray, and we're going to jump right into the, the third church, which is the church of Pergamum, okay? I have found out way too much about Pergamum this week as I was preparing, uh, but it's going to be great. I've, I'm really looking forward to sharing this. So Revelation, uh, the Greek word for Revelation is apocalypso. There's a number of different uh, versions of it, but maybe you've re that reminds you of you know, the zombie apocalypse or something like that. And, and it so, so often it looks like, um, it seems like it's a very daunting, almost negative kind of a word. And it really isn't. It is a word that's, that speaks of something that is an unveiling. It's like opening the, the curtain. I don't know if I can stay on camera or not, but I'm just going to take a chance, uh, probably. But it, it's like... Looking behind the curtain, that's, that's revelation, that's apocalypse. And so it's looking behind the curtain of eternity and the spiritual dimension. And so we see, we see things that are going on behind the scenes in the heavenly realms when we read the book of Revelation. And I believe the most important verse that is in the scriptures in Revelation, the most important verse to notice and to understand this book is verse 1 of chapter 1. Okay? That's the most important verse. The revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, if, if that's all you get out of the book of Revelation, it's, it's, it's really what the book is for. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. goes on to say, of course, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take the place, and he sent and he signified it by his angel to his servant John. Now, he didn't dictate it, 
and the reason I'm saying that is because the word signify is like sign language. And so what often happens is we try to take the symbols and signs of Revelation and kind of exchange the meaning of it for the sign or the picture and discard the picture and just go with the meaning. Well, what that does is, first of all, it waters down the richness of this book. But second of all, we might not always get it right. And so if we take the meaning and throw out the symbol <laughs> and try to insert the meaning into there, we, we will actually likely be missing some things. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to speak. These are Holy Spirit words. And so this, um, this preposition of, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it, it actually has a dual meaning, and it's about Jesus, and it's from Jesus. So it's revelation of Jesus Christ by Jesus, about Jesus. All right? And, and so why don't we just stop right now, and we're going to ask the Lord. I'm going to ask the Lord to help me. You're going to ask the Lord in your own heart to help you understand what's coming up. It's going to be awesome. Lord, thank you for this rich book that's part of the Word of God that we believe in. We are, uh, we are aligning ourselves to the Word of God. Uh, we believe in the Bible, and we thank you, Lord, for this great uh, passage here today we're going to be looking at, and we just pray that you would give your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. These were tough days for the church, um, probably about 30, uh, 30, 40, maybe even 50 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension. There, there was a great revival. The church scattered. Not, the church multiplied across Asia, even into Europe. And, uh, and here we find the, uh, the forces of evil that were behind the political systems and the cultural systems of the world at that time, there was a backlash and a great persecution was happening. A lot of persecution was happening in those days. And so we have this book here, Revelation. It's designed to uh, encourage the church, encourage people that are under persecution. That's what this book is intended to do. And so one of the parts of the book, the very first part of the book, we have a picture in chapter 1 of Jesus Christ, and it's an unveiling to see that Jesus is not some infant in a manger. He's not even a man who's suffering on the cross. He's not even the resurrected Christ, and they were almost not sure if that was him or not, his disciples who lived with him for three years. But the glorified Jesus, a picture of him, majestic, shining, holding stars in his hand, and a, it was kind of weird, a, a sword, double-edged sword sticking out of his mouth, and brass feet, not brass boots, but brass feet, fiery eyes, and a little bit scary, I suppose, but it's a revelation of how awesome and how powerful Jesus Christ actually is in the now. We sang about that today. What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. What a mighty name it is, Jesus Christ. And the idea behind that picture is really the theme of Revelation is that we're going to win this battle. 
we're going to win this battle, and he wants to give us the tools to overcome in the midst of the battle. And so if you, uh, if you were here last week or watched it online last week, uh, Pastor Matt just did a great job on the first two uh, churches that are addressed. But we're going to jump into chapter 2 here. And uh, it's, the ch it's the church of Pergamum in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12. Um, it basically starts off, write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Now, Pergamum was a place that was, it's, it's in modern-day Turkey, and I, at some place here, if you can put that map up for me, I'd appreciate it. Um, there's, there's a little, little drawing there, and you can see last week, Pastor Matt, on the uh, Ephesus and Smyrna. Now we're going to the sort of the upper, the northern part of this little group of seven churches in Pergamum. And this was the capital of the province of Asia. This was the, the, the seat of Roman power. This was the place of, in fact, a lot of places, most places in the Roman Empire, they weren't allowed to execute uh, people in, with capital punishment unless they were, of course, the Roman soldiers. But uh, the, the, the citizens didn't have that power in most places except in Pergamum. They did. It was a very powerful place. It was a, it was a place where there was... Um, uh, a, a lot of idolatry. Uh, there was a lot of emperor worship. And one of the problems, of course, for the Christians in those days is that every person was in, in Rome, in the Roman Empire, was, uh, was supposed to be able to say, Caesar is Lord. In fact, in Pergamum, there were a number of different temples that were erected to different Caesars that started with Caesar Augustus. Remember the name Caesar Augustus? around Christmas time, right? We, we know that from the Christmas story in the days of Caesar Augustus is when Jesus was born. Then there was a number of other temples that were erected, and at this particular time, uh, there was uh, a temple that was um, e erected to the, the current emperor, Dominican, and so people were supposed to go into that temple, take some incense, and throw it onto the, uh, the fire, and, and say, Caesar is Lord. Well, Christians couldn't do that because Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And so we find the, the Apostle John who wrote this, he was exiled. Um, he was exiled onto a prison island called Patmos, and he, that's where he wrote this. But th there was a lot of emperor worship that was there because it was the political uh, center. Uh, in, um, in Pergamum, they had, if you can go to the, the slide that has this list of things on here, uh, it's politically powerful. There was emperor worship. It had the largest library in all of Asia and Europe in Pergamum. 200,000 uh, uh, scrolls, volumes, were in that, in that um, uh, library. It was the seat of, of learning. It had a huge uh, theater, 10,000 seat theater, I, I'm, I'm going to show you a picture of that in just a minute, but there was a, a, there was a great big, one of the biggest uh, temples that was erected for the throne of Zeus. Now, if you know who Zeus is, or um, what's the other name for Zeus? Just escapes me. Anyway, Zeus was one of the uh, gods of, of 
of the uh, Pantheon, and and he was like the big wig. He was the best, the, the tallest, the strongest. He was the one who was the, the highest one. And there was a temple to him, and so was, that's a, a seat of very uh, strong spiritual power as well. There was another temple to the god of wine named Bacchus. Now, Bacchus is... Uh, is the, the god of wine and intoxication and throwing off all um, restraints and, and all kinds of, of sexual perversion. Um, uh, it was, that was who Bacchus was. There was another temple in this area, in, and it was uh, a temple to the god of healing named Asclepios. And this temple was filled with snakes and people will come to this temple and, and lay down on the ground and sleep at night, and the snakes would, they figured if the snakes slithered over their body, they'd get healed. But people came from all around for this, and it actually became a medical center, and if you've seen that symbol for, um, for doctors, it, it has a snake on a pole, and that's really the beginnings of, that's where this, this is where that comes from. Um, so Jesus calls this place uh, a very strong name that, that the uh, Chamber of Commerce in Pergamum did not like, and that is the seat of Satan, the place where Satan lives. And so uh, I just want to show you one more thing, and that is I just want to show you a picture of the, of the theater. It's still there today. This is what it looks like today. And you can see how steep it is on the, uh, the right-hand side. About halfway down, you can see a person, but it, it's very, very steep. And um, it would hold around 10,000 people. So it was, a, it was a, a theater, cultural center as well. So there was all of these things going on. And in the background, there were spiritual forces that were coming against the church. And in the physical realm, there was all of these cultural, political, ideological forces, idolatrous forces, party animal life, all these things against coming against uh, 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 righteousness, and as we heard earlier, the, ho the highway of holiness, uh, coming against all that. It's, it's not only the physical, visible things, but it's the spiritual forces behind it. Now, Jesus is revealed in these seven different church messages, and there's a clue, and there's an adaptation of how Jesus is revealed in each of these churches and how to overcome. And so we're going to be reading this, but when you see Jesus as revealed here in the scriptures in chapter 2 and verse 12, you'll see um, a clue, really, how to overcome. So let's go into the scriptures here. Write this letter to the angel. I'm in verse 12 of chapter 2 of Hebrews. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. Now, as you recall, the sharp two-edged sword was not in a sheath. It was not in his hand. It literally came out of his mouth. A sharp two-edged sword. And remember, I, I could start telling you all about how it, what it means, but let's just think of the picture for a little while of how, maybe it's odd, but you know what? Our, the, the way we are without God 
is, is odd too. <laughs> doesn't even work. And so here we have Jesus revealed as the one with the sword. And that's a clue to how to overcome in Pergamum. And I've, I don't know if you've noticed, if you've kind of clued in. Pergamum is a lot like uh, where we live right now. Political stuff going on. The medical community is so strong. Theater, entertainment, uh, idolatry, you know, party life. You know, uh, I really like sports, and a lot of us like watching sports on television. You know, if there wasn't any any uh, alcohol, I don't know if we if they could afford <laughs> to to put the sports on television. You know, alcohol is such a big part of our culture, even if you don't drink. And I uh, encourage you to uh, be careful in that whole thing, but that's not what this message is about particularly. So look at this, verse 13. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. And, and you know what? We could say the same about Vancouver. And, and what I mean by Vancouver is greater Vancouver. Uh, yet uh, you have remained loyal to me. So there, that's good. So it starts off good. You've refused to deny me, even when Antipas, my faithful witness, that's one of the pastors, previous pastors of the church, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But Jesus says, I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam. Now that's a story from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Uh, who showed Balak, who was the king of Moab, how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols. And that's compromise. And today... Uh, is the challenge to each one of us here in the room and watching online. It is the challenge to watch your heart, guard your heart, and perhaps even inspect your heart in areas of compromise. I don't, I don't know about you, but every time we... You know how sometimes we say, well, no one's perfect? Well, every time we're not perfect, we're compromising. Okay. So I'm thinking that I'm speaking to myself and to everyone here in the room and everyone watching online when I say that we need to be careful and watch about compromise. That's what this is. That's what this is. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them by, to sin by eating food offered to idols. Now, this was not just, well, you know, we, we went down to the market and down to M&M Meats, and we picked up some steaks. We brought them home, and, uh, and, and we, we barbecued them. Okay? This is uh, a feast that took place within the confines of temples where there was idolatrous worship, sexual perversion, which was inspiring and luring people into that idolatrous worship and there was a there was food there that was offered to idols and it was all part of that culture of debauchery and idolatry so it wasn't just like well we you know we had a barbecue and now we're bad however the problem is is that almost all the meat markets that they they had there the meat that was offered to for sale in those markets 
was meat that came from temple sacrifices that were already sacrificed to idols. So if you didn't want to be a, like a vegetarian, you, you, you had to really watch you know, where you got your meat from if you didn't want to participate or be a, a, associated with the idol worship that was all around. So it was, it was a dilemma. And there's other places in the scriptures in Romans 14 and uh, 1 Corinthians 10-ish uh, that'll teach you more about meat offered to idols. But the, the problem was is that there was, uh, there was compromise in the people. And there was people teaching, literally teaching compromise to their friends in the church. And they were being tolerated by the church. And so that is what Jesus is saying. You are tolerating some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam. And in a similar, similar way, verse 15, you, uh, you have some Nicolaitans among you. Now, the word Nicolaitans is, a, is another group, but they had very similar teaching to those who taught according to um, Balaam. Uh, very, very similar. And so they, they follow the same teaching, it says. Verse 16, here it is. Repent of your sin. Jesus says, repent of your sin. Now, what was the sin that he's talking about? He's talking about the sin of toler not of teaching Balaam's teaching, but of tolerating people who teach Balaam's teaching. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to the church, and he says, you're compromising, you're tolerating people that are teaching the wrong stuff, that are, that are teaching by example. Oh, it's okay. You know, we can just have... You know, we can just do this. We can just do that. Which, you know, we can just go to this party, and we can just do this and that. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not here to start talking about the do's and don'ts of Christian living, but uh, it's interesting that uh, earlier there was this prophetic word about the highway of holiness. And here we are teaching and looking at Pergamum as a place where there was compromise. It's a very serious thing. But I, I want you to remember a couple of positives. First, the picture of Jesus. A little daunting picture of Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth. <laughs> then we have Jesus saying, well, you know what? You guys are doing okay in this area. You know, you've refused to deny me even when the, the going got as tough as it can get. Your pastor was killed. But then he's saying, listen, you guys, you need to watch it. You need to be careful. You need to un understand here, and you need to repent. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly. That means at a time when it's unexpected, in the middle of all of this frivolity and all of the cultural stuff and all of the distractions and trying hard to stay alive and all of those things, I'm going to come to you out of the blue when you didn't expect it, and I'm going to fight against them. Who's them? That is those who are teaching the people, leading the people by example, teaching the people uh, to get involved with sexual sin and idolatry. And I'm going to fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What is the sword 
of his mouth. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. I just want to finish this reading the scripture. So anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Are you listening? <laughs> everyone, who, everyone, everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Wow. So hidden manna, you got white stones, you got Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth, you've got idols, you've got entertainment, you've got drugs, rock and roll, <laughs> you've got all, you know, sex, you've got everything happening out in the culture. And, and it's not easy being a Christian. But then Jesus says, you repent. Listen, I got something for you. I've got hidden manna, and I've got a white stone. And you and I can have the hidden manna now. I believe that we can have the hidden manna and the white stone right now. Okay? That's what I, I don't believe this is for a future time only. I think it gets better. I think eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard about how good it's going to be in, in the future. But there's a now going on right now, here and now, in the heavens and also in our hearts. First of all, this double-edged sword. There's four places in the Bible, that, in the New Testament, that I could see where it talks about this double-edged sword. First of all, if you remember the description of the armor of the believer in Ephesians chapter 6, you know, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of the gospel of peace, and, and, and uh, uh, there's, there's the shield of faith, and there's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Interesting. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and that, you know, coming out of Jesus' mouth in this picture. So you can get the meaning. Don't lose the picture, but you can still see the meaning there. And, of course, in Hebrews, it says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it exposes things in our heart. See, you and I, we can examine ourselves, and I'll, you know, I'll compare myself to some you know, some person that I don't think is doing so well. <laughs> and I'll say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing too bad. You know, I'm just comparing myself to that person. What a Pharisee I can be. But, you know, if we allow the Word of God to be our standard, we allow the Word of God to be the thing that, that gives us the insight, even sorting out between, you know, soul and spirit and motives and all kinds of things that, that come into play here. Um, sorry, where am I? Uh, Revelation 1, of course, is the first description of Jesus um, in, the, in this book, this beautiful book of Revelation. And his, uh, you know, it says that he had seven stars in his right hand. Now, we know this is a, a picture because it's, well, it's either, either Jesus is really big because, how, you know, the stars are big, right? So he's got seven stars in his hand. So either Jesus is huge because he's got seven stars in his hand, or they aren't stars as we know them. Okay, so, you know, let's not get too, uh, too technical on some of these things and just kind of let, let the message kind of roll over us. And, of course, in the, the fourth one is here in our, in our text in Revelation. It says, I'm going to fight against them with the sword of my mouth. I'm, I've got a word for you, Jesus says. I, I've got something for you here 
I want to give you the tools and the keys to overcome temptation. He says in another place in the scriptures, he says, I, I, there's no temptation that is uncommon. You think you're alone. You're not alone. And there's going to be a way. I'm going to give you a way to win over temptation. I'm going to help you. I've got tools for you. You walk with me. And he says, if you are an overcomer, that is someone walking according to the word of God. That's the key to overcoming. We see the picture of Jesus introduced here at the Pergamum as the one who has the sword sticking out of his mouth. The word of God, the victor, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who isn't wringing his hands about the debauchery happening outside the church. He's concerned about what's happening in the church. And he says, if you overcome, this is what I have for you. He says, I've got this, I've got this manna, and I've got this white stone. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute, but let's just back up here, and let's just think a little bit about what kind of compromises, what kind of temptations the people in Pergamum were facing, and you and I face every day. You know, the, the looking to politics for success and uh, greatness in our, in our land, and I realize that I'm so grateful for democracy, and as Christians, we steward the gift of God, which is democracy, and so we should be involved with politics. We should be voting. Uh, we, we should be praying for our leaders. We, we should be doing these things to be good uh, citizens of our land. But we don't look to the politicians for all of the answers, and we don't look to the politicians to blame them for all the bad things that are going on. Because, you know, we've got the politicians that we voted in. Maybe not you personally, but certainly they did get voted in. Politics is not the answer, but and, and the temptation is to be thinking all about the, the leaders and those, you know, those awesome leaders or those dirty, rotten scoundrels or whoever we think they are. And, and this library that's there, the 200,000, you know, scrolls in this library, that's all the humanistic wisdom, all the ideas that are out there. You know, just Google it, you'll get the answer. It's on the Internet. It must be true. So, so, you know, le leaning on humanistic philosophies and ideas, our best wisdom. Well, my idea is, well, my, my truth is, well, well, maybe there's a truth that's higher. Let's look to Jesus, the one with the word of God, the sword in his mouth. Entertainment, distractions, the theater, 10,000 seat theater there. We've got, you know, how many channels on our TVs, and then we've got our computers that have another kajillion things to look at. Plus, there's theaters, there's live theater, there, you know, there's Hollywood forces that, you know, even even influencers now. Why do they call them influencers? Because people listen to them. They affect our culture. The fashions, the designs, you know, the the lewdness, the the celebration of all kinds of. Oh, I don't want to go there. The, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the temple of Bacchus, the party culture. Let's go party. Let's, you know, uh, and, you know, there's so much that goes on about even, you know, there was this, uh, there was this one meme that, that talked about, 
what is it? He says, you, you young people, you got nothing on us old guys. He says, you know, you, you give a part, if you party too hard the night before, you call in sick in the morning. But we used to, we used to come in the clothes we wore that night before with the, with the party uh, ID wristband, and, and we'd get to work even if we didn't get any sleep. You know, and it's like, you know, they're, they're kind of, this party culture is almost like, who can party the hardest, right? Well, that's, that's a temptation that we don't need to go there. And, you know, we can compromise. Sometimes we'll, uh, maybe we'll, we'll, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that we could do. And I, I don't want to start listing things because I don't want to leave you out or me. Uh, idolatry and um, idols, of course, are, are made uh, of cultural values, political agendas, lifestyles. Uh, religious movements, idolatry is when we look to anything outside of God to, uh, to move us. And last but not least is, is just the temptation to lean too hard on medicine. And I believe and I'm grateful for the doctors uh, very, very much, but uh, we have to uh, remember who our healer is. You know, sometimes a surgeon will cut away at things and then uh, they'll expect the body to heal itself. Well, where does that power come from? That comes from our, our, our help is in the name of the Lord. Amen. So how do you overcome all this stuff? By the word of the Lord. And Jesus says this, and here's the promise to the church in Pergamum, and I believe that we can take this promise for ourselves as well. Anyone who overcomes, to those who overcome, whoever is victorious not victorious in some physical battle, not victorious in some general election, not victorious in any of these things, but victorious to overcome the temptations of life and to participate in that highway of holiness. Who's ever victorious, he says, I'm going to give two things. I'm going to give the hidden manna. And you and I, we have desires, we have needs, we have wants, we have things that we just need in our life. And so often we're tempted to go uh, and, you know, what they call it a, a drug of choice. And we go to our drug of choice, which could be, you know, uh, the, the getting too many chips, <laughs> too many potato chips, going out and, you know, even going to the casino and getting gambling chips or we, you know, taking alcohol and other drugs, other things that, you know, food, uh, uh, sh shopping, could, could be anything that kind of makes you feel better. You know, all of those longings, relationships, I could just keep going. I didn't make a long list here to, to, to talk about it. But Jesus says, if you overcome, I'm going to give you the hidden manna. There's something in me, he's saying, that can satisfy the deep longings of your heart. It's hidden because it's in the heart of God. And God wants us to be close to him. And in his presence, the Bible says, there's fullness of joy, even just in his presence. And so those things that you're longing for, you can look to other things from time to time. And, you know, if you're hungry, eat lunch. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But re don't forget that there's something higher 
that will meet the deep needs of your heart, and that is that hidden manna that comes from heaven. We could talk about how that manna was hidden in the Ark of the Covenant, and the little bits of leftover manna were put in the Ark of the Covenant and lasted for hundreds of years during the time of Israel when they, when they were doing good before the Ark got stolen by the Babylonians, and, and, and so on. But we can go into all those meanings of what that hidden manna means, but really it's the message. The message is that God has something for you and me to bring that satisfaction into our lives. The second thing is even more mysterious, and that is the white stone with the name on it. And we could talk about that. In fact, I read, I read so many different commentaries, and they all said similar things, and that is no one really knows what the white stone means with the name on it. I was hoping maybe somebody would come up with something that, that helped me. But I read this, and I'm uh, trying to think where where I have it written down. I don't know if I even have it up on the screen, but I think I have it right here. Yeah, it is a, some secret token which would make him sure of the favor of his Redeemer. Because they used white stones for admission to things. They used white stones to contrast with black stones. They, they, they used white stones for all kinds of things in that culture. So they knew about white stones. But the point wasn't what it was used for in Pergamum. The point is, is that we now have this beautiful sense of belonging. We have this beautiful sense of identity in Jesus Christ. Who are you? What is a man? What is a woman? All these identity questions that we have in front of us. Listen, there's an identity that we have in Jesus Christ. Who are you? Oh, I'm a child of God. Thank you very much. Come on, I belong. You belong. You belong. We've got that sense of satisfaction because of the delights of heaven. We have the down payment. You know, the scripture talks about this. You, you want to wait for heaven? I do too. And I can't wait. I'm getting old now, so it's starting to get a little closer. But right now we have what's called the down payment. We have the uh, the old King James, the earnest of our inheritance. We have, we have the first taste of heaven. And I want to tell you, your very best day with the Holy Spirit. Ever had a good day with the Holy Spirit? Come on, let me see your hand if you've ever had a good day with the Holy Spirit. Listen, that's like a mundane day in heaven. That's like the lowest standard of the days that you could have in heaven for eternity. It's a down payment, just a taste. Just a taste precious Holy Spirit that satisfies our souls. And who are you in Christ? You're chosen. You're redeemed. You're adopted. You're forgiven. You're made righteous through Jesus Christ. We have the golden ticket, but it's a white stone. And you've got a secret name. I don't understand it all, but it's something very close and very tender in our relationship with Jesus. Might not even be able to put our finger on it might not be able to identify it with our brain. No one else can be there. It's just Jesus and me. Because he loves you. And he loves you because he loves you. Because he, he loves you. And that's why he loves you. Because he loves you. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, let's stand together. Can we do that, please? Thank you, Jesus.
Now, I, if you recall, I did ask you to wonder and consider and I examine your own heart. And, and I want to encourage you right now just to, I'm going to say it in such a trite way, and it's a big deal, but it's really simple. I, I just want to encourage you to repent right now. Repent isn't some great, you know, spooky spiritual experience. Repent is, I was going this way, I was thinking this way, and I was walking this way, and I'm going to now I'm going to go this way. I'm going God's way. I'm going God's way. If, that, if you want, if you want to repent, you can do it just by saying, God, I want to turn away from me, and away from all those temptations. I want to turn to you. I want to walk the way of the, the highway of holiness. Come on, if that's you, just lift up your hand right now. I'm going to pray. Lord, here's my heart. It so easily wanders. Come and change me on the inside, Lord. I want to walk your way. I want to walk your path. I want to turn away from all those temptations, even the secret ones. Even the hidden ones, like porn and all kinds of stuff. I'm going to turn away from those things. Lord, I know there's answers. You've come with the word of the Lord. You've come with the sword of the Spirit to, to help me win these battles. And I thank you, Lord, that I can be an overcomer in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. Thank you that in your, in your place, in your presence, Lord, there are wonderful, wonderful treats that satisfy my soul. And you've made me new. And I can be part of your family. And I belong to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Oh, thank you for that awesome word, Pastor Mike. I just, that, wasn't that just so good? Did it just, oh man, inspire you this morning? Man, I just... I was so inspired this morning. I love that approach, and I love that thought because it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, to recognize his goodness, to recognize his greatness. And as you were preaching this morning, I was reminded of a C.S. Lewis quote. I'm going like, to just absolutely destroy this, so don't Google it later. But here's the idea. As children of God with a limited perspective, we, are often, uh, we often find ourselves settling for playing with mud in the streets when we've been offered a vacation by the sea. And compromise is that limited perspective. It's that, hey, this is all I've got, and this is how I'm going to cope, and this is how I'm going to get through. But if we have an encounter with the living God, and we recognize his goodness, and we recognize the great things that he has for us, and the fact that he knows us, designed us, and actually knows what will actually satisfy and fulfill us, then we won't settle for anything less, church. We won't settle for anything less. And so my prayer for you this week, as you go out, and you live this thing out in your daily life is that you would encounter the presence of the living God and that those things that once satisfied you will no longer be enough because you'll recognize the greatness of his goodness his plans for you his thoughts towards you which are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a hope and a future and that you wouldn't settle for anything less than his greatness and his goodness in your life amen church let us be arrested by his presence.